0: Hey, let's go. Hey, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, Mr. Wente. Good to see you. Hey, let's go. Uh, Two weeks into Lent. uh, Let's pray and let's go. The Lord has opened my ear to hear, as those who are taught. And I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. Isaiah 50, verses 4 and 5. O Lord Jesus Christ, who walked the way of the cross, as an obedient servant of God... Open our ears, we beg you, and teach us by your Spirit, that we may not rebel, but walk in the obedience of disciples who have learned from you, who, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, live and reign, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay, good to see you. Lots cooking this morning. We'll try to go slowly and kind of keep things in an orderly fashion. Uh, So we, you know, we're a little short, uh, you know, because maybe... Clock turned over and it wasn't that fun getting up in the dark after having one day getting up in the light. Um, all the Concordia students are gone. Except for Chloe, who's a student teacher. Um, which is sad, right? Because her kids are still so in your heart. Here's what I think we should do. I think you know the money you put in the basket today, we'll give to Chloe to make her feel better. Would that be okay? Because she's a poor student. <laughs> so you see John Crow to get, get it all. If you put it in the basket, it's going to Chloe today, okay? <laughs> How's that? So, so that you can feel better or alternately fly to Florida on the weekend. Okay, so, um, see, already I was going to be sassy, but I, was, I shouldn't be because, you know, it's so easy. Uh, there's a lot of things going on. Okay, so first things first, um, COVID-19 and all the attendant things, right? I do have a friend, I think I told you, when he went to, he took his kid to a pediatrician, And he was a professor at the seminary. He took his kid to a pediatrician. And the kid looks the doctor in the eye and says, my dad says a PhD is a real doctor. So um, (laughs) I'm just saying, uh, I'm going to give you advice, but I'm not a real doctor, okay? (laughs) But I, you know, like you have read all these things. Um, Let me just say, just to start, contrary to what you might think absorb from watching the news. Panic is not a strategy. Okay? So you might have seen that Italy closed down. Northern Italy closed down. Venice is closed. If we were smart, we'd go to Venice today. It'll be beautiful there today. Uh, But, you know, everybody tranquilo, right? Panic is not a strategy. And the, the sad thing about... You know, the news in America is there's 300 cable channels going 24-7. And so what do they do? They poke you where you live. And what do they do? Everyone has to be more excited and more nervous than the last. And what does that do? Just agitate the entire country. It doesn't mean this isn't a real thing. It's a real thing. But also, you know, panic. You know, panic is not a strategy. So, you know, everybody in America loves science except when science matters, right? So, you know... Let's just, let's just see what happens. Now, that said, if you read around and listen, it seems to me nobody really knows what's going on. I've asked a couple of medical people that I know. The answers are all different. So I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. Uh, it may change week to week. And, um, you know, we'll try to do a good job with this, okay? First, if you're sick, stay home, right? Just stay home. Um, I know that among the things to do is to keep your hands below your waist. No going to your eye. No shaking hands. No touching your mouth. No touching anybody else's mouth. You know, not touching anybody else in the eye. Don't poke your brother in the eye. This is a week you can't do the three stooges stuff. You gotta like keep your hands below your. Waist. I get this. Here's the thing. Um, if you want to shake my hand, I'm happy to shake your hand. Just like in a moment, I'm going to say, you know, I'm happy to go to the holy supper. But if you don't want to shake at the peace at the door you know, fine, be respectful of everybody else. You know you're supposed to be, you know, a meter away from people, which you're all in violation right now. <laughs> so, um, you know, sorry. But, you know, you've got to figure it out for yourself according to your own comfort and according to your own conscience. But we're all just kind of relaxed. We put tissues out. If we could get hand sanitizer, it would be out. We'll work on it. Like you, we can't find it either. You'll notice. I mean, maybe you don't notice, although... I did tell the guys in the vestry before we went out today that it wouldn't really be, you know, showing your fasting on the corner if you there's hand sanitizer at every chair where we put it on before we go to the altar. You know, we always have, we just haven't made a deal of it. We're gonna do our best. We'll wash up, we'll try to and we'll try to use hand sanitizer and stuff like that. You should do all that stuff too. Um, in terms of the chalice, right, so lots of things have happened over the past week. Catholics Um, are kind of on a roll now to take the chalice away from people. Here's the thing. um, That's not a big deal because that's in their history. I do know some Catholics who are upset about that uh, because it kind of came top down, but that's how things happen when people are sick, and that's how it happens when you have bishops and priests. So um, I also, this is just so interesting, uh, so I kind of read some Catholic things, and then I also read some Episcopal things. So I read a bishop's letter last night. I read one last week. What's so interesting is that uh, you would think, or people normally think when they're sick, they practice intinction, which is you receive the host and then you touch the host in the chalice and then you take it, right? Now, um, what's interesting, in both the bishop's letters I read from the Episcopal Church, that's been banned. Why is that banned? Anybody got a guess? Yeah, because everybody puts their hand all the way down in the chalice, right? (laughs) Right. And if you have to choose between your mouth and your hand, what's dirtier, your mouth or your hand? hand. So, um, intention doesn't really solve it because the first guy that misses pollutes the chalice, right? So, still then, you know, do you receive it in your hand? Do you receive it in your mouth? I did read of a, of a Catholic church that banned also having it put on your tongue. You have to make a little manger as says, right? Right hand over left. It's good to review all this stuff, Right. If you take it in your hand, you always put your right hand over left and you make the sign of the cross. There's Christum says you make a little manger for the baby Jesus and you just bring it to your mouth and it sticks to your tongue. That way you don't drop Jesus on his head and then everybody has to scramble, right? So just a little review. Um, if you open your mouth, we're going to put it in your mouth. If you open your hand, we're going to put it in your hand. Now, the long and somewhat tedious argument about um, chalices and individual cups. You know, what's, what has more germs, an individual cup or a chalice? You know, you can argue all day long about this. Cups are touched with hands, and lots of hands as people start to move them around and brush the other ones and blah, blah. Chalice goes to everybody's mouth, and as you learned in college, physics, or at any sorority party, sharing a cup of beer, liquid to liquid transfer, there's always something that goes on, right? You can't stop it. Yeah, I know, none of you drank beer in college. I understand. <laughs> I, I get it. Act like it was somebody else. I completely get it. Uh, I gave you this, and, you know, who'd have thought that the National Institutes of Health would have issued something on chalices, right? Now, this is 35 years old or something. This is from way back when um, HIV was a thing and... Uh, I don't mean it's not a thing now. I mean, it was an unknown thing, and people were quite nervous about how it could be transmitted. I mean, way back when, you know, uh, if you can remember how this all started, even with the Magic Johnson thing, if you're old enough, is he going to play in the NBA? What will happen? Blah, blah, you know. Um, You can have a read through this. It basically says, um, wipe the chalice in between communicates, and you cut down the risk. Nothing, of course, is risk-free. So um, your choice, we'll continue to offer the chalice and we'll continue to offer individual cups as of now. Um, I've even read of churches getting directives from their health departments in pandemics past where they've said, you can't have the Holy Supper anymore. That would be problematic for us if such a thing happened. We'd, we'd have to think about that. Um, then in terms of the pastors, you notice the pastors commune first and last. Uh, why is that? So just this is just good theological review. The celebrant, so it doesn't, it's not specific to me as a pastor, senior pastor, or Pastor Nelson, or to anybody else. This is what happens. The office, Jesus, the holy ministry, communes everybody. So in one sense, I'm just the guy who's in the office. It's like the presidency. The presidency is always there. The president does things. It doesn't matter, you know, who's in the office. He does the things that a president wants to do. Who's ever at whoever celebrates, where's the chauzeable? He does the thing. What's he supposed to do? He's supposed to forgive sinners. So, for example, this morning, when I commune myself, you should think to yourself, if that's not, and you know, the Missouri Center tries to get around this by having elders or lay people or other people. That is not our history, and it's certainly not the history of the church. Why? What happens when a pastor communes himself is Pastor Bruzek communes that damn sinner, Scott. That's what happens, right? Um, And then, as always happens, holiness goes out from the altar to the people who will serve you to the church. So the altar is always the, the center of holiness. You ring the bell, it's a doorbell, Jesus is here. You throw up the smoke, Satan hates that and goes the other way because he hates beauty and he hates wonder. Right? He hates mystery. Jesus is here, so Jesus, that's why we hold up the chalice and hold up the host and genuflect before it, which is to worship it, to say Jesus is here. That either is the truest thing that's ever happened or an utter break of the first commandment. So when they wanted to make fun of Lutherans, uh, the reform side would say, you're bread worshipers. To which they're like, take it easy. Right? So, what happens? Um, I'm forgiven, then I forgive the people who will serve you, starting with the pastors, and then everybody who will serve you, and they forgive you. And then at the end, if you think, well, just because you got the first, we take the last sip too. And in a sense, you absorb every ill, and every germ, and every possibility from everybody, and put a period on the end of the sentence. So what I might gain by having a pure chalice at the beginning, I lose at the end by being inoculated with whatever you're bringing to me this morning. Thank you very much for your gifts. I appreciate them very much. So um, we'll just sort of go on with that. I mean, you, um, there's so much, you know, cross-information, you know, the early information was The kids don't get it because their immune systems are too strong, but then I talked to a scientist this morning who told me actually some kids do have it, but those are Chinese reports and you don't know what to do with that. Okay, but generally kids haven't gotten it because they're strong. People who are immunocompromised or fragile are more at risk. Older people, it can be devastating for them. So here's the thing. If you have uh, an immunofragility... uh, Come and talk to us. We'll have to think this through. Um, We'll have to figure something out. And of course, you can see the demonic in all of this, right? So everything that we do here is about community, from kissing to shaking hands to hugging to sharing, the Holy Communion, which makes us a Holy Communion. So you can see how demonic this is. Augustine once said, evil scatters. The Lord pulls everything into unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in his church, but evil scatters. And you can see how Evil scatters us. So now I have to stay a meter away from you. Now I can't share the chalice with you. Now I can't hug you if you're in trouble, right? And now I'm afraid to care for you if you're sick. You see how that's the world we live in. Now we got to figure it out. We're in the process of figuring it out. I can tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to panic and light my hair on fire like I did last time. So, um, you know... I'm not gonna panic, right? I'm gonna try to listen to people who are real doctors of the medical sort and to scientists, and I'll, but my advice to real doctors and to scientists and nurses and all the rest, hey, if you could all get on the same page, that would help me. I still can't figure out if I'm supposed to eat fat or not eat fat for my heart. You can't agree on that either. So, you know, science. Ooh, okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. If you can just tell me what it is, just let me know, right? Because I'm, like Jesus in the prayer, willing to be obedient if you can show me a little leadership. But being nervous every morning, noon, and night on the news and everybody acting like a panic and pointing fingers at everybody else. Yeah. So we're in flux. Um, we'll try to take care of you. Um, the soap dispensers are full, the Kleenex are out, we'll try to get hand sanitizers, we'll try to pay attention, we'll try not to go to our eyes or our nose or our mouth while we're around you. You all do the same thing. And then we'll just kind of figure it out. Um, Okay? How's that? That's as much as I can do by memory. Questions about any of that stuff? If you get a bright idea, or if you're a specialist, please come and see me because I'm not a specialist, and frankly, I can always use a bright idea. But we're just not, not going to act like the evening news. I mean, people are sick. It's very contagious. Maybe it's peaked out. Some places like China, but who knows what the news flow is like out of China. Maybe it's not. we got a ways to go. Everybody calm down, and we'll just keep going. Okay? You good? Let me know if you are... Um, Nervous or if you need to talk, or especially if you have a condition that would I got some ideas but i'm i 'm reluctant to take, for example, take the chalice away um, Jesus says, "Do this and I, we want to try to do it um, in a very rare you know it 's a very rare case where something like that might happen that 's done with a lot of prayer and fasting to come to that you all good all right uh, try to all your Facebook posts and all the other things—just try to try to keep it in, try to keep it in perspective. Okay? Yes, Peter. Did you notice more people using individual cups? Anymore? We did have a little bit of an uptick in individual cups, which is fine. You can all do what you want. We'll put an extra um, ring of individual cups, individual cups at the late service, and you who are altar guild people, why don't you just do that until we talk again? We'll figure it out. This is—we're figuring it out in real time. Here's the thing. This is not the sort of thing where people should get a... It shouldn't break your conscience about this. If you want an individual cup, take an individual cup. If you want the chalice, take the chalice. You know, at the end, when I drain the chalice every week, I sometimes think to myself, if this is the way the Lord wants to kill me, perfect. Right? <laughs> it's better than getting hit by a bus. So uh, it, is, it is what it is. On the other hand, you don't want to be glib about people, about things that really, uh, really can be bothersome or hurtful to people. right? So... Okay, all good? Questions about any of that? We'll try to do our best. I mean, we're not geniuses, but um, not in this. But we will, I mean, we're not going to, this isn't the biggest thing we've ever seen. We've seen a lot of bigger things in this. So, you know, just like, you know, all good. Hi. Hi. What's up? If anybody hasn't decided on something too fast, Yeah, for some reason, fast from touching your face. Wow, really? I I usually ask people to do do an easy thing. This is a very, you know. All right. um, Then I, you know, it won't surprise you that I'm going to do something that's a little bit nonlinear now. But uh, don't worry, it's all going to work out in the end. By the way, just out of curiosity, how's your fasting going? Everybody okay? Take it easy. You know, don't over... Don't, you know. So if you chose something too hard and have failed a lot, that can be hard on your conscience. You might, um, We might give you a mid-course correction. We'll give you a freebie if you want to correct down. Um, if you just struggled um, and need a little help, that's okay. Uh, say your prayers and, and keep going. Um, how many days left in Lent? Anybody remember? It was 41 last Sunday, so less 7 must be, right? 34, counting the Sundays. So, you know, you're within... You know, you're within shouting distance of it, so it'll all be okay. Yes, friend? Would you be so kind as to close the blind behind you? It's so bright that, you know, you're getting this halo. (laughs) Hey, man, It's, it's not the window. I know those are supposed to be those are supposed to be closed i don 't know you know we 're about to redo this room, and you know on the table was whether or not we take out the stained glass window or not. yeah, we already guessed that that 's why it looks like that. thank you they 're supposed to be closed, of course, but thank you very much. all right, what else anything else all right so i 'm actually going to start with um, the outline I gave you today, but then we're going to, I just want to go back and clean up a couple of things from last week, okay? Just because it was fun and there's, there's stuff to clean up. Look, everybody knows how good parables can be. I give you this guy, Galen, who was famous, famous, right? And, you know, when I read this, I was like, ah, he feels the same way I do, which is nobody can think anymore. Nobody can get a linear thought from A to B to C. And if you actually introduce often, even in academic conversation, a linear thought from A to B to C, um, then what happens is people criticize that as Western logic. Here's the thing. Um, This is the sort of thing that wars or pandemics cure, right? As one of my friends used to say, communism only works on college campuses. Because, uh, you know, um, some things you can only work in a, a closed environment where somebody else is paying the bills, right? But um, you know, basically, if you if there's a, a drug that works or a vaccine that's discovered, and you, you don't like the fact that it, the the logic goes like this, take shot A and cure um, pandemic B. God bless you. Live with your logic, right? Because it'll come to get you. But um, it's interesting that people who we have even in our best days we had trouble who who have trouble thinking A B C D D and seeing out to X. Even in our best days, people have trouble doing that. Well, so what do you do? Well, you don't give up on people. You try to find another way. So this famous thing. Most people are unable to follow a demonstrative argument consecutively. A, B, C, D, E. Hence, they need parables and benefit from them. You don't disparage them. They benefit from them. Just now we see the people called Christians. So this is written about 140. So you're know you 100 years in with the church drawing their faith from parables and miracles, but let's just go and, you know, drawing their faith from parables, and yet sometimes acting the same way as those who philosophize. So basically he's saying the parables work. It actually, telling stories changes people. And of course, if you've paid any attention to anything that's happening in the last 15 or 20 years in business, everybody's a storyteller, right? There was even IBM had full-page ads five years ago on the back page of the Wall Street Journal saying, we're storytellers. You're like, when you get there, when, when companies are, like IBM are rebranding themselves, not as um, you know, quantum computing companies or, or uh, you know, um, you know, following the Bitcoin trail, right? When they rebrand them as storytellers, you understand that society has changed. Nevertheless, such a thing can happen. Um, we see them acting in the same way as philosophers. And, of course, Galen thinks, you know, doctors and philosophers are top of the heap. And in their keen pursuit, look at this, of justice. So listen to a parable and do justice, which is going to be in the parable we're going to. And he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Desiring to do justice, have attained a pitch, you know, a place, not inferior to that, of genuine philosophers. They're almost as good as we are. Right? So, so uh, the point is that parables have this way of teaching us, right? Now, you can test this. I think this happens to be true, that Jesus used metaphor and simile and parable and dramatic action more than logic and reasoning to teach the faith. Listen, look what it, look what, listen to the Gospel this morning. You know what it's like to be a Christian Nicodemus? It's like being reborn. That's what it's like. What? Nicodemus is like, what? That's not A to B to C. I'm a bright boy. I'm a Pharisee. Right? No, Jesus is telling him it's like something, simile. You had this on your SAT test, right? So Jesus' teaching is concrete and practical. And that's one of the hard things for us. Jesus actually expects you and me to change. When Jesus says things like, if you have two coats, give one to the poor, right? Or he says, you know... Um, I don't know, pick something. Turn the other cheek. Lend and expect nothing in return. Jesus actually thinks that's going to happen. Try to reflect on that prayer we just had. You know, I was going to talk about this. We've got so many things to talk about. But here we're praying, thanking God that the Son obeyed the Father. So often we just think the fix is in. Jesus just goes ahead. It's not like us. No, no. What's the difference between Jesus and everybody else? Jesus does what he's told. Right? Jesus obeys. Jesus loves the Father. So obedience is a gospel word. And, you know, your point, as you're going to find out in the parable that we'll get to this week and next, is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. What's the one word that sums up the law and the gospel? Love. In a single word. Jesus says it and Paul says it. Love is the single word that sums the law and the gospel. Love God with all your heart and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. This isn't theoretical or optional. This is what you're meant to do. And one of the great sadnesses about the church is we all call ourselves a church and that we don't do anything or don't do much about what Jesus tells us to do, right? Chief among these is tithing and giving alms, of course. You know, and it's don't get me started about how 10 is really 2.4% in the Missouri Senate. Really? Yeah. Read the text. So, we don't force Jesus into our theological boundaries or philosophical boxes. The great Norman Nagel, now sainted, God rest his soul. If you ever wrote a paper or said in his presence, the idea that Jesus would, or the concept of faith, would stop the conversation until you um, excised, and probably exorcised, the word concept and idea against the notion that Jesus taught concepts Like any other concepts or Jesus had an idea like any other religion or Christianity is a religion like any other worship Jesus is a a one-of-a-kind and he's trying to explain to you what it means for him to be a one-of-the-kind and the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth what does it mean for God to be in our presence right and he doesn't explain it ABCD because you can't take it I can't take it we can't understand it it's mystery So the kingdom of God is like a man who is reborn. The kingdom of God is like a sower who sows himself a seed. The kingdom of God is like a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and saw another man beaten naked and unconscious on the side of the road. This is how Jesus explains to you what's going on in this kingdom. And in one action... He's trying to erase our presuppositions, right? What we think is right. What we think is... I just went to my face. So, uh, <laughs> what we think is right, right? We, we, what, we, what we think we know, what we think God wants, and he's trying to replace that with other assumptions, other biases, other presuppositions, like, you should move through life and lend and expect nothing in return, And you should just relax and know that it's all going to be okay. right? So a parable isn't an illustration of a thing. It's not just like, hey, here's a nice story. No, no, the parable is the thing. The parable is the house that you live in. The parable is the window through which you see the world. I said the same thing about icons, do you remember? Icons are the window through which you see the world. It's not a pretty picture. It is vision that defines everything you see. In the same way, these parables define how you're gonna live. This isn't like book stuff. This is how you live when you walk out the door tomorrow or how you live in this place. I mean, this is what makes you so fabulous. Over the last 20 or 25 years, you've been able to absorb these stories as your own and become one community. Why is St. John the way it is? Why do people walk in and go, whoa, this is different, like a couple of families did this morning? Why, do, why does community matter, right? Why, when you walk downstairs, is every kid included, and nobody's crying, and nobody's being bullied? Why is that, right? Of course, it's because of you and being adults and being parents, but it's also because you've absorbed the parables as a real thing, right? Why is there so much work still to do? Yeah, because we haven't completely absorbed it. You know, we rebel against it. I gave you a thing on free will, which we'll go through in just a bit. um, And we kind of wander back to the other parable and finish it up. The point is, this is how you're meant to see life. Or, and this is the hard part, this is what it is to listen. And almost nobody can listen. I don't know, I know I could count on one hand the people I think can really deeply, deeply listen. You know, as and said, listening is spiritual hospitality. So it means, you know, you're not preparing your rebuttal, right? Watch a presidential debate. Does anybody listen to anybody? No. Or is it just about dom- power and dominance, right? Which, of course, as you know, are antithetical to this kingdom. That's where we started. You know, but even think about your own family. Do people actually listen to you and absorb Again, from Norman Nagel, you know, he used to say, in theological argument, the first move that you make is to recapitulate your opponent's argument and make it stronger. So you'd say something like, um, oh, you're against the baptism of babies. Now, um, one more thing that might help you is this little um, throwaway quote from, um, you know, and so nobody does this because nobody cares about truth. People care about being right. They care about being dominant. Right? Science. All the data. Right? All of it. And then see where it leads you. And then also understand what the boundaries of science are. right? Science is a good thing. This whole notion that the church is against science. Um, Yeah, it's not. Even, well, even Galileo, contrary to the popular thing, you can go read the history, doesn't get excommunicated because of, how the sun and the planets move, he gets excommunicated because the pope gave him an order and he broke it. And he backed the pope into into a corner and the pope didn't have any place to go. So, you know, read the history. But I digress. What could your cure be? Your cure could be, number three, I say this to every vicar, but do they listen? Hmm. Sell periods by question marks. Almost everybody I know is um, long periods. Buy, and they're selling question marks. No, it's the other way around. You're like, you know. you should. If there were futures on question marks, buy them. A thousand at a time. Almost nobody can ask questions. One of the interesting things now, <laughs> that I'm old and I don't care anymore, um, is actually, I rarely use a period in the first hour of any theological discussion with people that I have hardly met. And consequently... What what happens then? What happens? People think I'm stupid. They actually think I'm asking a question because I don't know the answer. Kirby, do I know all the answers about everything? Yes. Okay, see? So this is not this is not the reason why I'm asking the questions, right? I'm asking the questions. Thank oh, you I so didn't much. Ask the <laughs> No, you did You did great. <laughs> hey, stop. Stop now. No. Wouldn't it be a good time for you to stop now? <laughs> this is, you know, part of the reason I ask questions of people is because I'm actually curious what they know. I already know what I know. I want to know what you know, right? No. Nobody asks questions. It is the most amazing. I mean, just go home, watch the news tonight, and see if anybody in a half an hour asks any question That isn't just more than a lead-up to the answer they want to give you, right? Asking questions is a lost art, just like strengthening your opponent's argument is a lost art. These are all lost on us now, which is why community breaks down and civilization is scattering. Move to Mars. They found the substance for food. Go. So, sell periods by question marks, right? And so, um, you'll notice in this back-and-forth that we're about to read that... Question, 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 right? The man asks a question. Jesus asks a question. The man asks a question. Jesus asks a question. This famous old joke which you know. Why does a rabbi answer a question with a question? To which the second rabbi says, is it wrong to answer a question with a question? (laughs) So, um, of course you know that I don't mean um, fake questions. I mean actually... Real questions. So, rhetorical questions are fakes. The question marks are really periods, right? Or setup questions, you know, the kind that you'll, you know, just watch any kind of media, the setup question. Um, or any commercial. The question that any commercial is to is it because they care deeply about your soul, your health, your well being? Or do they care deeply about hitting their numbers for the quarterly report, right? But you might, you might just, um, if you ask questions about people, it takes a certain self-awareness. Uh, it takes a certain confidence. It takes a certain, hey, I don't careness where this goes, so without the ability to dominate things. But if you ask questions, you will find these conversations go marvelous places, especially when it comes to Jesus. Jesus doesn't tell you you can't ask your questions. Ask your questions. You can ask any questions you want. Nicodemus. Right? Nicodemus asks a question, Jesus asks a question. Nicodemus, he, back forth, back forth. Why? Because Jesus knows that this is the way you'll learn. He also knows that all of this is beyond your ken. You don't have the ability to comprehend God, to understand God in every last detail. You have the ability to apprehend some things about God. For example, that God is love, that God is for you, not against you. Right? That God is a one off, one and only. There's some things you can. Apprehend about God. You can know some things about God. You can't comprehend. You can't know everything about God. And the way that God tries to tell you about himself and his kingdom is to tell you stories. Why? Because it's how most people work. Right? Make sense? you still okay? Uh, shoot, I don't know what to do now. I'm at a kind of a break point. Um, I kind of want to keep going with the story, but I feel like I didn't finish up last week's story. So I don't know what to do. I only got eight minutes to go. Friend? So you you were asking earlier about just general questions. I had a question about, uh, since we're doing the one off the Bible study, I had a question about the litany. Who are you, and what do you want from me? (laughs) Uh, What what about the litany? We don't do it too much, and I've been trying to try do it more during life. Yeah. So I was asking if you could uh, talk about uh, the challenges of it and maybe if it's something that uh, uh, has benefits or if it's difficult to do or uh, um, history in the church. Wow, you're going some now. So let me, give it, let me shorten it up for you, and then we'll see what can happen. So the litany is um, a fairly intense back-and-forth prayer of great repentance, begging for help. We do it on the highest day. So you just did it on Ash Wednesday, right? Pastor kneels down before the altar, people back and forth. Do, 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 do. You know, you can have it for um, Lent, and if you said it every day in Lent, you'd be a better person at the end of 40 days. But it also is... Um, it has a specific focus, right? Which is this great repentance of our sins. And you have... I just know you well enough to know that there's other things that you need to pray about as well. So you can use it for a period of time, see what it does to you. The, you know, how far back it goes or exactly where it comes from? I mean, the broad form is there early on. You could probably pull it out of the Old Testament. But, um, you know, off the top of my head, I don't know. If you want to keep it for once a day for Lent, go ahead and keep it. But I would... Um, We'll just see where it takes you, and then don't forget the other things you need to pray about. There's other things that you should be praying about that you know and I know that I know that you know, and you know that I know, and stuff like that. Mr. Marcus. Back to baptism, when uh, people ask me why we baptize babies, I, I say the Holy Spirit has moved the parents or the friend or an uncle to bring that baby. So it's a Holy spirit we thing. That's a very nice, kind answer. The is sassy... That the, yeah, oh yeah, that's good. Yeah, we baptize because the Holy Spirit would love to baptize them. However, I'll give you the sassy, early, Melanchthon catechism, first catechism ever answer. Why do you baptize babies? Because they die. That's not the sort of thing that you'd want to say to a parent, but it's the sort of thing you should say to a parent. Why do you baptize babies? Because they die. Of course, that's written at a time when infant mortality was 40 or 50 or 60%, which, as you know, is the reason... Martin Luther is Martin because he was born on a Thursday and taken to the church and baptized before he could die. It was the feast day of St. Martin of Tours, so he becomes Martin Luther. We baptize babies because they die. That's the sassy, harsh, law-minded, there's some gospel answer. Um, But on the other side, you do, of course, move it because a range of other things like the Holy Spirit move it in their heart. i got five minutes. I'm going to clean up the parable of the sower. We're going to come back next week and do the, we'll do the rest of this parable. But I just want you to continue to welcome parables as a way of exploring the kingdom. So it was so interesting, a couple of things that were said to me last week and a couple of things that we didn't do. Uh, one of the things with stories is you have to be careful pressing them too hard, right? And so you have this very interesting thing where the seed is Jesus. He sows himself and he sows himself into you and he sows himself into the world and he sows him into you and all your pals around the world who are everything from rich soil to stone. Uh, One of the most optimistic things um, that came kind of from somebody who grew up around a farm, one of the most optimistic things was, you know, don't forget to say that even for where the seed falls on the pavement, on the hard ground, right, um, the farmer will be back next year and so again and again and again. In some sense, that's not in the story, but it's very encouraging. So, if you have a parent or a child or a brother who's outside the church, so at will. But you also have to remember the beginning of Romans where it talks about how fallen we are. And then there's this horrible verse where Paul says, What? It's like 2 5 or 3 5. Do you presume upon the righteousness of Christ? Which is to say, You think you can just ignore the seed that's fallen on you and hope that the farmer will be back next year? Question mark? Because he says, I mean, what's his point? His point is, yeah, seize the day, right? The Lord is here and been merciful to you. Be careful. So, yes, I take the point that if you kind of imagine about this, you can imagine Jesus being merciful enough to come back year after year after year, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Yes, yes, yes. But we could all be dead by next Sunday, if you watch the news tonight and see how urgent this is, right? And especially if you went to the Eucharist and touched the cup, you could be... So, you know, don't presume upon the righteousness of Christ. Second, um, you had this thing where... Oh, just one kind of um, earthy thing more from Luther, but Luther used to say things like, the devil is the best teacher, or the devil is the best theologian, right? It's kind of interesting. He would say... When the devil just comes and just wails on you, he pushes you to think and pray. In the same way, I don't know if you've thought about this. It was, um, you know, for you who are more delicate, um, you have to remember that the Hebrews are earthy people than Jesus was too, right? They killed things. They made them bleed. They, you know, burned things up. And So, so what happens, um, for you who grew up on farms or anything, you know, what happens when the birds come and eat the seed... And then fly away what happens they spread those seeds everywhere right it's one of the ways that I mean if you just do a little basic biology it's the way that things get moved around that's Luther's point the devil is so the devil never gets the best of Jesus even in if you kind of take this as the devil swoops down and eats the seed and robs the possibility what happens Jesus can't be destroyed and he gets scattered kind of far and wide and then I just want to do one last thing because this is always very hard and it is the thing that, you know, kind of upends people. But let me, let me just see if I can give it to you this way. Just about the human will. Now, you have to remember, I put a note in here where you couldn't put, you can't sort of have your high school biology course imposed on a story that's 2,000 years old. You all know about dirt and fertilizer and how things work together and this and that. But in the ancient world, at the time that Jesus told this and the time that people heard this, everything was about the seed. Right? The seed was the deal. Okay? And you just have to let the story be told in its own context. You can't kind of adjust the story to what you know now. Now, that said, what do you know about the human will? Basic thing. This is Erasmus and Luther, bondage of the will. First thing that gets argued about, 1519. You know, um, you can choose anything horizontal. You can choose what color car you're going to buy. You can choose what you're going to have for dinner. You can choose this, that, the other thing. Okay, you can choose anything horizontal with regard to human beings. You can't choose anything with regard to God. You're deaf dumb and blind with regard to what's beautiful and what's divine. This is, if you need to hear this in another way, this is why you can't choose for Christ. This is why um, there's no synergism where you do part of the work and God does the rest, right? So um, this is what happened. But the thing is, now you have this story where Jesus takes himself, and depending on if you want to think about Jesus sowing himself into you or if you want to think about the Heavenly Father sowing Jesus into you, it doesn't matter too much. Jesus gets sown into you. And what happens? With his Touch, right? Life comes, right? There is, if you will, this resurrection. From dirt where there is nothing, there's suddenly life that springs up. This is just like being baptized. This is just like coming to faith. This is the third article of the Catechism. I believe that by my own reason or strength, I can't believe. But the Holy Ghost calls me by the gospel hey, I love you, enlightens me with his gifts. Boom, turns the lights on, sanctifies, which is forgives everything, and then pushes me toward holiness, and keeps me, which is surrounds me with angels and protects me from any from the devil, the world, my flesh from going wrong, in the true faith. I believe that I can't believe. But Jesus, the Holy Spirit, went to work on me. That's this story. Okay, last thing. If you are indeed the A, B, C, D, E type, if you prefer, you know philosophers to storytellers. Here you go. From the Lutheran confessions, right? And then we're going to go. To some extent, reason and free will are able to lead an outwardly virtuous life. So, you know, people often go, what's interesting in you? They do the same thing you do, same, same. Well, no, it's not same, same. It might be that you gave to poor and a pagan gave to the poor, but it's the same because you both gave to the poor, but it's not the same. So you can, you know, a pagan can look like you. Galen can look like you. But to be born anew, the gospel for today, to receive inwardly, and now this is the thing, to receive a new heart, a new mind, new spirit, a new seed, a new Jesus, a new revelation, a new holiness, a new forgiveness. These are all things that's happening. To receive a new thing from outside that you could never generate on your own, right? Like seed being cast into dirt is solely the work of the Holy Spirit. Now look what happens. Sin darkens your intellect. The Holy Spirit opens your intellect. Now you can see clearly. Sin darkens the heart. Now you can choose. The intellect sees, the heart loves and chooses, right? Now you can, Now, now you, He opens the intellect and the heart to understand the scriptures and to heed the word as we read. Then he opened their heart, Lydia, like by Lydia, like God is at work in you. You're not at work at God, God's in work at you, right? Um, God gives repentance, gift talk, right? Um, he works faith, so faith is God's work, not your work. You, faith never talks about itself. You can't, you can't say, my faith, it's not your faith, it's God's faith given to you. It's only yours because it's been given. Right, It's been granted to you. This is the work of God. This is the gift of God. God gives... An, do you understand the gift stuff here? Gift, 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 gift. Lutherans are all about the gift. Right? 100%, right? The Holy Spirit is a spirit of regeneration and renewal. You would hear that as resurrection. Right? God removes the hard, stony heart, the hard, stony ground. God removes... God chooses to grow in hard, stony ground, right? God removes the stony heart and bestows a new and tender heart. That's how it works. God gives you a seed that grows even in the worst of circumstances. The, um, you know, the, the green covering um, Detroit's concrete or one of you showed me a petunia growing up through a crack in the driveway. Yeah, that's how it works. In short... Every good gift comes from God. No one can come to Christ unless the Father draws him. So what happens? Jesus sows himself. Jesus starts to grow. Jesus gives his gift. Jesus comes alive, to which your only possible response is, Thank you very much. Amen. I love you back. And all the other things you've learned to say over the years. Right? Apart from me, says Christ, you can do nothing. All our sufficiency is from God. So, we talked about this last week. If you do good, it's God's fault. If you do bad, it's your fault. What have you that you did not receive? There it is. And if you received it, why do you boast about it? As if it were not a gift. So, when Jesus sows himself and grows up in your life, your proper response is, thank you, Jesus, for the resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift. Thank you, um, Jesus, for whatever you might give me. Okay, I gotta go, but if you put, you know, five bucks in the basket, Chloe gets it. And just think how wonderful her life will be because you love her. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Oh, one last thing. Plans are pretty well set that on May 3rd, Pastor Kendall will be installed at the 830 service. Big party. You decide if you're having mimosas or not. And then the late service will be canceled because you might decide to have mimosas. Okay, so on May 3rd. Got it? Okay, love you. See you. Bye.